We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Uh, got a fun Dynasty episode for you today. Uh, Jesse Roach is joining me to recap the Highlander draft in the Highlander Dynasty Invitational. Uh, Jesse and I think Eric Cross and, and a bunch of other people from the league uh, did a great job with the live Highlander draft, but I had so much uh, FOMO for not being able to take part in that that I tried to steal Jesse for another hour or so to, to talk <laughs> Dynasty. Uh, we are going to kind of not focus strictly just on that draft. We have some yeah. other stuff to discuss, including who we think the our number five overall prospects are and just kind of discuss the sort of lack of consensus or at least uh, perceived consensus after the top four prospects. But first of all, Jesse, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm really, really good. I definitely missed you on the live stream with Eric. Uh, that had been hosted here uh, last year. Uh, I definitely understand, though, <laughs> with a newborn. I have a newborn myself, a year old, a month older uh, than yours. So I, uh, I've gone through it very recently, and I'm still going through it, constantly going through it. We'll be going through it for some time to come. <laughs> but uh, uh, excited to talk about Highlander Dynasty Invitational. It's a great uh, industry league, and obviously all other things Dynasty that we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, man. Uh, excited to just kind of take a break from uh, fatherhood, really. I mean, yeah. It's, it's been wild. I haven't been getting much sleep, but um, this will be fun. Uh, but first, I do want to just kind of give people a, a quick rundown of the state of the Highlander Dynasty Invitational. Um, of course, a, a startup league. Um, Brett Sayer uh, came up with the unique rules um, for this constitution. And 2023 was the second year of the league, and Jesse won the league. Um, so yes, I did. <laughs> congrats, Jesse, on winning the league. And uh, congrats to Andrew Sperling and Akeem Glasby for finishing as the uh, second and third uh, place teams in the league. Um, Jesse, before we kind of get into the, the Highlander draft, uh, just quickly let's recap how you did it. Um, who were sort of – maybe not like your best players, but just sort of who are some guys that really um, you would sort of say were your MVPs last year? Sure. I think obviously whenever you win a large 20 team league, there's a lot that goes right with your team. Even when there are, there's always going to be things that go wrong. You know, I think that part of why I positioned myself so well was because for one, I had the first overall pick last year 
because of the way the rules are structured in this league. And my team was also sort of built to win anyway. So it kind of collide, you know, they both, it worked well to get my team in the position it was in. Uh, and I, I will say my build was not necessarily by any means perfect, but I did hit on a lot of players. I think the, the MVPs for my team were likely CJ Abrams, who I actually picked up in the Highlander draft toward the end of last year. So late picks in Highlander can have huge impact. And of course, CJ Abrams was just phenomenal last year. And also Haseon Kim, who I picked up in the redistribution draft, I believe early in the third. So these poacher drafts that we have as part of our league really do help you know, disperse talent. They add a lot of excitement to the offseason that can be often, well, it's never not exciting in my mind in Dynasty Leagues, but it can be dull for some people. It's basically forced participation in the offseason uh, for everybody, and it creates more parity in the league. And you know, since I was the winner last year, uh, I am. we have what's called the Icarus rule, where uh, we have several offseason poacher drafts, three of them, and for the first one, it's the Highlander draft. You can poach one player from every team except the league champion. You can poach up to three. And I did get three players poached. And then the redistribution draft, it's two rounds. Everyone gets poached, can be poached up to two players except the league champion who can get poached up to four. So I'm in the process of trying to figure out how to, uh, I guess, ease the pain of getting poached uh, more. I, don't, I really don't want to be, but I, I'm just expecting it. Yeah, and, and you yeah you got hit hard in the the Highlander draft in the first mm-hmm. nine picks. Uh, we'll we'll get into that. Um, but quickly, just uh, another aspect of uh, HDI is that the winner donates half of the uh, pot to a, a charity. So which which charity did you end up supporting via your win? Yes, I donated to my sister's house, which is a domestic violence support group in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, they do fantastic work. My wife actually occasionally will work with them. She's a clinical psychologist and she recommended them when I was talking about donating to a charity. And uh, yeah, it was a great one. I really feel good about it, especially given a lot of the issues that we see all the time in professional sports with domestic violence. That's awesome. Uh, it sounds like a great cause and that's uh, just a really cool part of this league that I uh, think is great mm-hmm. um and i guess we got to touch quickly on the the state of of my team uh i came in 19th place um this is my second year of building um i wouldn't call it rebuilding since it's just the second year of the league uh, but i do plan on fielding a full lineup of big league players who are active and uh, participating this yeah, year. James so. won't accept my trades for prospects anymore. I'm just like, ah, James, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> yeah, Mercer Waltrip's almost on, almost to the majors. So I'm 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 done with uh, done with prospects <laughs> here, uh, at least at this Ooh. stage. The <laughs> off season. Um, so hoping to kind of push up to where uh, where you were last year and where Brett Sayer was this year. Maybe make a run at that number one pick. Um, but uh, I guess a little bit more preamble on just the Highlander draft uh, this round. Uh, so every team prior to this Highlander draft <clears throat> already has uh, three franchise players, uh, two fan favorite keepers, two underdog keepers, and one rising star keeper. So eight total keepers per team um, for 160 total players kept prior to this Highlander draft. 
Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of just the, the caliber of the player pool. Um, <clears throat> and then every team, like you said, can lose up to one player, uh, except the reigning champ can lose up to three players. Uh, draft order is determined. Uh, I, I would say it's it's about the best way to determine a dynasty draft order as, as you could come up with. Um, you know, essentially it doesn't, it doesn't reward teams like mine that were just, you know, not really competitive. Um, the draft order is determined by reverse order of the standings for teams in the top half and the order of the team playing time for teams in the bottom half. Um, so the, the teams that finish first through 10 are locked into the 11 through 20 picks, the teams that finish, um, and then the first through 10 picks are assigned to the teams that finish 11 through 20 uh, in order of playing time, not in reverse order of standings. Um, yeah, so, it's good. It's good and bad. You know, I, I'll, any type, any type of draft order, trying to come up with the right uh, formula, it's it's tricky. But I think this is definitely a good one. I will say, you know, Brett Brett ended up having the first pick, and Brett, I know, toward the end was like spamming Adam Wainwright starts and things like that. So you know, that's not necessarily great for the league because it's going to be terrible outings likely. But he is going after batter's face, so there is an incentive to have pitchers that are going to go longer in outings and not just get blown up. Uh, so I do think it is a it's a good way of doing draft order. And that's how I ended up with the first pick is because I easily outpaced everyone and batters faced and played appearances. Um, and I when I realized I was out of it, I made sure it was even a further priority for my team. So I think I want to um, share uh, I'm going to share the uh, board here. Um, and I guess while you're doing that, I also talk briefly about, you mentioned 160 players are kept. And for context purposes, yes, 160 players are kept, but the three franchise players are basically your top three keepers. So they're typically going to be top 60 overall players in Dynasty. It's a 20-team league. Uh, meanwhile, the face of the franchise, they they can't be some, it can never be designated as one of your top guys typically. They're usually going to be players that kind of fall in that back end of top 100 range, uh, give or take. And then the underdogs are usually even further removed. These are players that are going to be like outside the top 200 or even 300 often. And rising stars are prospects. So they're players that have yet to lose their. Rookie eligibility, uh, they're the most prominent rising star right now, I think, is Jackson Chirillo. Uh, but uh, otherwise, there's a smattering of poor <laughs> rising stars, to be honest. They probably ought not to be rostered, but the the there's a steep penalty if you were to change your rising star. And I think, honestly, some of these teams might want to consider it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like one of the best parts about this league is it really, it kind of puts you, it puts the pressure on you to make smart decisions. And if you make a decision that ends up not working out very well, you just kind of have to suffer the consequences. Like you can't, you can't like trade your way out of it or just kind of cut, cut the player and move on. Um, it is and, kind of like you're, you're handing out a, a contract in a sense. Yeah, and while there are several players that are, are difficult to trade, if not impossible, it doesn't mean there's not a ton of trading in this league. And because of the way the poaching drafts work, it incentivizes trading, especially up to those deadlines. So it's a very active league, 
and you know we have player you know owners like uh, Jordan Rosenblum in this league, and uh, he's one of the more active <laughs> traders. I'm sure if you've listened to James's pod or follow any of the dynasty pods, you probably know that already. Uh, but it's an active league. It's a very good league, actually. I've been very uh, pleased with how it has worked out. So I'm going to read through the. 20 uh, picks quickly for people that aren't uh, watching along uh, and then we'll, we'll discuss some, some of the more interesting picks and just kind of uh, the valuations. Uh, so with the first overall pick, uh, Brett Sayer took Dylan Cruz. Uh, Dylan Cruz was on Brett's team. So he just kind of brought him back uh, for another year. Um, and Cruz was the only player selected with zero MLB experience. Uh, Alex Sanchez selected Josh Young uh, Kevin Hasting with the third pick selected Adolis Garcia. And, you know, a lot of these teams had a lot of solid options. Um, so like with the Adolis Garcia pick that removed Jason Dominguez from the pool, um, because Adolis Garcia was on a Keem's team as was Dominguez, uh, with the fourth overall pick, uh, Chris Fargis selected Manny Machado, uh, the first player taken from Jesse's team, uh, the fifth pick, Jeff Potts selected Adley Rutschman. Uh, the sixth pick, Chris Mayer selected Spencer Torkelson. Um, and that was from Jeff Potts' team. Uh, that removed a player I was considering, Gavin Williams, from the pool. Um, I had the seventh pick. I selected Kyle Bradish, uh, first pitcher off the board. And that was from uh, Chris Mayer's team. And that removed Nolan Jones from the pool because he also had Nolan Jones. Uh, with the eighth pick, Chris Clegg took Evan Carter, another player from Jesse's team. With the ninth pick, Chris Mayer took Devin Williams, the third and final player from Jesse's team. It hurt. <laughs> <laughs> all, all three of those were, were used in the first nine picks, so obviously Jesse had a pretty loaded roster. Uh, with the tenth pick, the itch took Andres Jimenez. With the eleventh pick, Eric Cross took Justin Steele. Uh, Michael Waterloo took Dylan Cease with the twelfth pick. Uh, Jesse took Tanner Bybee uh, with the 13th pick. Then Drew Wheeler had had back-to-back picks. He took Kyle Schwarber and Kettle Marte. Jeff Potts took Noelvi Marte then at number 16. Drew Wheeler with Zach Eflin at 17. Akeem Glaspie with Max Kepler at 18. And Drew Wheeler up again. Uh, Byron Buxton at pick 19. And Shelly Verstraight, uh, first time in the league, or first year in the league, took Brandon Fott to round things out. Uh, Jesse, there were 12 MLB position players selected there, six MLB starting pitchers, one reliever, Devin Williams, and one minor league hitter, Dylan Cruz. Um, what did you think? What did you think about the the draft? Um, you know, did you did you have an idea picking 13th? You know, maybe which types of players uh, would be available down there? Did you do any sort of rankings? beforehand to kind of get a, a gauge of who you thought the best players available were? Oh, of course I did. <laughs> of course I did. Yeah. I ahead of the draft, I went to each roster and I, you know, at that point we definitely had their franchise players designated, but even before then I was at, you know, predicting who the franchise players would be and then who would be the best options after that uh, for each team. And I did it for myself as well. I went a little deeper just to see uh, who would potentially be selected. I actually made a trade ahead of the draft. I traded C.J. Abrams for Xander Bogarts and the 13th pick because I figured Abrams might get selected 1-1. And uh, I wanted to turn him into 
something of val extra value and get an extra pick out of it generally. Uh, I also traded for Evan Carter before the draft. Uh, and uh, that was, I didn't, I thought, I mean, I should have probably expected him to get poached to be honest, but he did bring him in at least gave me poach protection for other players that I thought conceivably could get selected as well. So, I mean, I didn't get, obviously Xander Bogarts wasn't selected for my team. Um, Bryson Stott wasn't selected. Jesus Luzardo wasn't selected. Christian Walker wasn't selected. There was players I thought conceivably could go. I didn't really think Walker would go, but uh, there were players I thought could go that, you know, it didn't fall that way. And I, I think that the three were, that were selected were probably the correct three. So, yeah, when I, I was picking seventh, um, and I was I was pretty dialed in on uh, getting a pitcher here. Um, yep. But I did, just kind of in my prep, I thought it was pretty obvious that there were more, like, in-demand dynasty hitters available mm -hmm. than there were sort of the type of pitcher that are that is in high demand in a dynasty league. Obviously there were still some good pitchers who got selected, um, but it did seem like there was more talent available on the hitting side. Um, does that kind of check out to you? I agree. Yeah. I think that when I was putting together my rankings, I was actually targeting a pitcher at 13. I ended up taking one. I thought that the talent at the hitting side was just better generally. And I thought that they would go early and often and that pitching would end up falling. You know, I've had guys like Bybee and Cease and uh, players like that. And Gavin Williams, I thought, um, as a potential option, kind of circled as players who might fall to my pick. Obviously, if a player on my team fell, I probably would have snapped them up and locked, helped lock my team up. Um, but uh, it was still, even when my pick came up at 13, I was tempted to go hitter just because there were still a lot of quality hitting hitters on the board but i've been i just have very little pitching depth right now on my team so i really felt like it made the most roster construction sense to go on with an arm and i really do like bybee yeah and as a team that like i haven't been trying to contend the past two years mm -hmm. and as you would imagine like i have way more hitters than i do pitchers or at least way more um hitters i feel comfortable keeping in these ensuing uh, keeper rounds. So to me, it was just kind of like this. And I did this last year. I took Framber Valdez in the Highlander draft last year. And I've sort of been approaching these drafts as sort of a way to kind of just fill, to plug holes, to acquire um, the type of player that I want without having to trade for that type of player. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously I think you could make a case that just even just off of Chris's team taking Bradish instead of Nolan Jones. Um, you know, I'm sure Nolan Jones is ranked higher on Dynasty. He's probably ranked higher on my Dynasty rankings than, than Kyle Bradish. But just the way this league has been sort of operating, I've just, I think it's very difficult to acquire high end starting pitching without um, kind of going this route in one of these drafts if you didn't just have a bunch of it to begin with. And I honestly think it's a fair move to go Bradish over Jones anyway. I, I get Jones. I get why you'd maybe consider him. And I honestly thought he might be the one poached from that roster. I actually had him. I, I, I didn't think either of them honestly would fall to 13. So they weren't truly on my radar. Either of that one of them would have went. But uh, and I think there's just so much risk with Jones that you know we aren't as an industry 
fully recognizing and the swing decisions are are typically quite good but you know his contact rates are so poor and you know that's a big deal for a hitter who hits in Colorado and relies you know gets the boost the batting average of balls in play boost from Colorado if he's not putting balls in play you know if he's walking or striking out half the time which is very very possible uh he's not going to hit for the average that maybe you would really want to see a Colorado player hit for. He's not going to get the benefit as much as others, other Rockies players will get. And, you know, last year, his batting average from balls in play was over 400. It led all major league baseball. It's the highest in baseball. So there's a lot of regression coming for Nolan Jones. That said, you know, even if he, if he, if his average regresses to let's say 230 or 240, that's still going to be a, very valuable fantasy players, particularly in OBP formats. Uh, this is an average. It's important to note that this league is is an average base league. It's a five by five average league, not OBP. And I think if it was OBP, uh, I would you probably really would have gone Jones or Jones would have been selected earlier uh, because it's average. You know, two thirty, two forty. He could be a twenty twenty player certainly. I mean, he was twenty twenty last year, uh, and I think it's. I think the speed and steals are real, and I think they're here to stay. I think the power, you know, in cores and, and the power in general. I think it's going to be twenty plus homers, but twenty twenty two forty two thirty is not as exciting as uh, maybe he's getting drafted as. I think that the the draft cost right now in redraft is especially redraft that's standard five by five with average is is really steep. For me, at least. Yeah, you know he's a, he's a good player. Um, really, really good move by the Rockies to to acquire him yeah. um, when they did from Cleveland. Uh, but I, it is kind of one of those where it's just the price has gone so far in one direction uh, year over year. Like I, I had uh, Nolan Jones on some teams last year, which was you know a, a huge blessing, but. Um, you know, you're not that production isn't coming back um, the same way it was, you know, over those final couple months. Um, so yeah. Mean, meanwhile, Kyle Bradish. I mean, I love Kyle Bradish, so I thought that was a fantastic pick. I think that he is some of the best breaking balls in all of baseball, and he made some tweaks to his fastball last year. I think to make it more viable, it's not gonna, not going to be a bat missing fastball because of its shape, but if he can you know, manage contact with it. And then miss bats with the breakers, and you know just dominate with the breakers generally. He's going to be. I think it's very sustainable what he's doing. Yeah, and it's just it's really a kind of a dream setup there with that home park and yeah, Adley, and they're just you know they've got so much talent on the roster. They're they're always going to have a good bullpen. They're always going to have you know a good defense. Um, so I. I like all the stuff that's outside of Bradish's control as well. Yep. Um, and then another kind of key wrinkle about the valuations in this league, um, sort of as you alluded to earlier about like us me, me acquiring a prospect from you, uh, prospects who are not in the majors are much less valuable in this league than in, say, a super deep dynasty league where 400 prospects are rostered and every team keeps you know, 30, 40 players a year this isn't like that. You know, you're not, people really care about that big league playing time in the short term. Yep. Um, so, you know, there are going to be times where it pays off to find a way to roster an exciting teenage hitter. Um, you know, maybe you turn them into a rising star keeper or something like that, or an underdog. Um, but 
in general, like you're not going to see people be like, who's the best prospect available. It's more just like, I need a big leaguer and what type of big league, big leaguer do I need? Yeah. I think about, I would guess, I haven't done the math on it, but I would guess about 200 prospects are rostered in this league, give or take maybe up to 250. It's not the deepest league in terms of prospects. There's going to be prospects available on waivers. And you know, a lot, a lot of the people in this league are obviously very knowledgeable when it comes to prospects. So it's like a rush to the waiver wire to see who gets those players first. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I thought, you know, I thought Brett's pick of Dylan Cruz was the most interesting pick of the whole draft. Not maybe not surprising, just because it was the first and pick. And it's Brett. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, it actually uh, like scares me a little bit. It's just, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, he could have taken anyone, and um, it, it's basically sort of a signal that Brett is just sort of. You know, Dylan Cruz is an elite prospect. I am taking him over these uh, big leaguers. Um, but I don't, you know, I will talk about Cruz, I'm sure, a little bit. But um, what was your sort of reaction or did, were you surprised when you took Dylan Cruz first? And sort of who who was the top guy or maybe the top couple guys on your board um, if you had been picking first overall? Sure. I, I was not surprised Brett took Cruz first because it was – his guy from his own roster, a player who he right. did float for trades or before the draft and, you know, didn't get a trade done. Uh, so I wasn't surprised he went there. It actually does worry me a little bit because he's going to be wanting to push Cruz up higher in the BP rankings than I feel comfortable putting him. 
<laughs> so that will be uh, off-season debate that I'm not looking forward to having necessarily with Brett because Brett definitely has his guys and he sticks his, to his guns. So uh, Cruz will probably rank higher on our rankings than you'll see elsewhere because of that. So I blame Brett in advance. Um, I do really like Dylan Cruz, though, so I don't fault him. I think that a lot of people are maybe down a little bit on Cruz because he did disappoint, you know, his production in double-A as the hitter, you know, the, the lauded prospect is still like this just monstrous performer in college. Uh, his production double A was scary bad. Like it was very poor. And uh, I think it is a bit of a concern. I think entering the draft, there were concerns about, you know, his batted ball profile uh, that, you know, he didn't lift as much, didn't pull as much as you really want to see someone, you know, like him, a power hitter, do in, in games and even before last year there were you know swing miss concerns and even last year you know his contact rates were not by by no means outstanding at the college level but he just hit everything hard everything hard at college and i'm not nearly i, look, I just want to stress dylan cruz is not like jacob barry 2.0 this is that is not who he is he the underlying data is still very good for Cruz. He hits the ball really hard. He's a great athlete. Uh, you know, there's going to be value there. But I do think, you know, when after the draft, and we talked about this after the draft on this podcast about how we both had Langford 1A, Cruz 1B. And since that point, it's like obviously ma- there's a massive gap has formed between the two because of Langford's performance and Cruz's performance. I don't fault Brett for doing it. I would not have done it. Uh, my top of my board was Adley Rushman, uh, to be honest. That said, you know, this league, it's a 20-team league, one catcher. Um, you know, I can see maybe not taking catcher because catching, there is catching available on the waivers. Unlike most other positions, there will be, like, you can make do a catcher. Uh, so I don't blame people for passing on Adley, but Adley was at the top of my board. Um, Josh Young was actually, I believe, second on my board. So, uh, and he went second in this draft. So that kind of, like, aligned for me. Uh, Adley, uh, Adolis Garcia was up there. Uh, Nolan Jones and Kyle Bradish, that duo was up there for me, too. Um those generally would have been basically my top group. Yeah. I mean, with Adley, uh, just, you know, probably a lot of it comes down to just who is your current catcher. And Mm. if you had, I I hadn't looked, I guess, in terms of what Brad or Michael or, or, or Brad or Alex or Kevin or Chris had um, the four picks ahead of Jeff taking Adley. But like, if, you know, if you, if you're sitting there with, I don't know, like, one of the Contreras brothers or Sean Murphy or something like you're not, you're probably not taking a second catcher if you already have a top 10, top 12 catcher. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, Josh Young is just kind of a a classic uh, option here. Just a a young everyday position player is kind of proven. Um, And then, uh, yeah, I think Adolis Garcia was probably uh, coming off the best season among hitters. Uh, I I was considering, you know, I definitely wanted Bradish. I wanted Gavin Williams if Bradish wasn't there. Um, I would have even considered Jason Dominguez, um, another prospect, uh, but he he would have been gone uh, because of Dolis Garcia being taken. Um, but you know what? One thing that I think is just really interesting, and you participated in the in Chris Welsh's uh, uh, P1 ADP 
uh, Mox, I believe. Um, I did, yeah. As as did I. I, I think his uh, number fifth or the the prospect with the fifth highest ADP uh, in Welsh's exercise, I think, was Dylan Cruz. Um, and his top four uh, per the ADP was uh, Wyatt Langford, Jackson Holiday, Jackson Turio, uh, Junior Caminero. Um, to me, I I think that is just an extremely locked in top four. Um, uh-huh. I I really struggle to find any kind of compelling arguments against any of those four players, like beyond just minor minor nitpicks. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're all just going to be awesome, but um, you know, I, I think it's hard to look at any of those four and say, well, I actually don't think this guy is that good because of X, Y, or Z. Kevin uh, Nero, maybe just the fact he's not going to run is is maybe a distinguishing factor just compared to the other three guys. But um, is that your top four? And then who is your fifth guy or who else makes up your top five? Oh, yeah, it's my top four. And yeah. it's a massive gap, like a yeah. massive. It's uh, for me, the gap between four and five is two tiers in, within my rankings, which is substantial. So there is a huge gap there. I really don't. I mean, obviously, someone outside that group could conceivably close it. I think, uh, believe it or not, I actually think Yamamoto may be the best option to potentially close it. And, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of spoiling who my new number five is going to be. <laughs> um, but I'm not, I'll, I'll get back to that. But my top four, yeah, I think that there's a very reasonable case to be made for any order of those four too. I think that it depends on what your risk tolerance is because some of them have different varying levels of risk. I think probably the safest of all of them is probably Jackson Holiday. Uh, you know, the hit tool, the approach is just so advanced and, you know, the, the bloodlines, uh, the frame and you know, I just, and the team, the team context, I just think that uh, there's so much to like with Jackson Holiday. And obviously his season last year was fantastic. The big knock on him is going to be power, you know, because the power is not massive. Uh, you know, I think that some people project, have projected him to develop plus power. He's nowhere remotely close to that yet. Uh, I'm not so certain that that will happen, but I do think he could co- conceivably be Corey Seager, maybe not recent versions of Corey Seager where he's, become this massive power hitter, but sort of like youngish Corey Seager that's healthy, that that runs, like, and that has a ton of value, and I think it's a safe profile. And, you know, Wyatt Langford's super fun. He's also on a great, has a great team context. Uh, I think my biggest question with Langford is, is he, is he going to run? Like, obviously, he ran in his debut, and he is fairly fast. Um, I do wonder how much impact he's going to have on the bases uh, but obviously the bats are very special uh, then with Chirio, who i think is pretty much consensus three at this point um i know a lot of people have langford at one and i do you have langford at one probably right yeah yeah i i go back and forth as to whether langford's in a small tier of his own or whether they're all in the same tier as yeah. a group of four yeah, they're all in the same tier for me, but I I definitely can see an argument for Langford being one. And that above that argument that argument for me is just strictly about um, what I think those four players are going to do in the short term, um, mm-hmm. because I just I think Langford is like I think his prime starts in 2024, mm-hmm. and like I don't think Jackson Holiday's prime starts until like 2026. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. I think that uh, for teams that are, I guess, trying to get production sooner, it probably, you probably want to push holiday behind a lot of these others for one, because he's obviously not going to, well, not obvious. He could start the season at the major league level. He could. And they've talked about that as being a possibility. I doubt it. Um, I do think he could arrive this year conceivably for the Orioles. Um, but regarding Torrio, I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, Torrio is going to start the year at the major league level. He will be the starting center fielder for the Brewers absent something extraordinary happening this spring. That just is really bad. Uh, I think the biggest issue with Torrio and I guess Caminero in a way is there is some underlying swing and miss that is a little bit concerning. Like they don't have elite zone contact rates by any means. Um, they're fine. They're fine. Squarely like average zone contact rates. Um, it doesn't really matter, especially for Cabanero, because he hits everything like a, as a everything's a missile off his bat. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about, it, but you know his 90th percentile exit velocity is otherworldly. 110 miles an hour. He's right up there with the top major league power hitters in all baseball. So uh, I get like Rafael Devers vibes, a right-handed version from Caminero. And um, so, you know, I think that because of that, I think he maybe doesn't have the upside of the others. You know, I think that Chirillo could be like Julio Jones, Julio Rodriguez. I mean, he could be that. Um, Langford could be, man, I don't know. There's, there's all kinds of awesome that he could be, <laughs> but it's such a fun top four, but let's get to so five. Five is a massive open question. I agree. It could be anybody. Uh, there's probably 10 players that I think could realistically go five. Um, and I mentioned that Yamamoto for me is moving to five. And I think the main reason that for that is because, you know, he's going to immediately produce and be, I think, very, very good. Uh, you know, the stuff's fantastic. It's a mid nineties fastball with pretty good qualities. I think at times it, uh, it doesn't have the best shape. You know, there's a decent bit of run. There's at times it has great carry, but sometimes it doesn't. So I think that it is my opinion that his fastball has is maybe his biggest risk point and how that ends up translating and how it does over the full season. I still think it's a, probably a plus pitch. I think it projects a plus, um, but I wouldn't necessarily think it projects beyond that. And then after that, there's the curveball, which he's long been known for. It has huge, crazy wild depth, uh, mid-70s. The biggest issues with curveballs like that is it is whether they're going to elicit whiffs at the major league level. There are pitchers who get whiffs with curveballs like that. And I think Yamamoto likely will be one of them. But major league hitters do not usually offer at mid-70s curveballs with huge depth. They just don't. Um, luckily, Yamamoto has great command. So that shouldn't be an issue for him. But that would be my biggest concern uh, with the curve. And then, of course, the splitter is fantastic uh, as well. And he'll mix in like a cutter that is a short cutter. I'm not super fond of it, to be honest. But it all comes with fantastic command and, you know, a wild track record in the poem professional baseball. I think he's going to come over. It's going to be very smooth. The only trepidation I have, other than things I've already said, with putting him at five right now is not knowing where he's going to land uh, because that does have an impact. You know, if he lands in New York or Boston, those are not as favorable parks to pitch in, particularly New York. And it may ding him a little bit. But I think there's a lot of great landing spots for him. Like, imagine if he ends up in San Francisco. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And I think if he ends up in a place like San Francisco, I think he should be slam duck five. Uh, 
but I get the case for others for sure, like Jordan Lawler, for example. So I, I have a a convenient rule where I do not rank international <laughs> who are twenty five or older when they sign. So yeah, I just don't, and it's more just because to me it's like apples to oranges, really, like comparing. Yamamoto, who's had as much success as he's had against, you know, grown men in a really good foreign league. Like, it's just, it's so different to me, but I do think he is, uh, I've come around to the idea that he is kind of the slam dunk uh, number two guy for first year player drafts. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't rank uh, players of his ilk. Um, I've, been basically how, saying, what were you how say? many questions? How many questions do you have to field about where he's going to rank? I imagine um, you don't rank them. I'm sure. Well, I, I you know, I, it's nice because I do, you know, just the, the way the calendar works um, with all the first year player draft content, you know, all those rankings are out there at the same time as like the, the prospect rankings are getting updated. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it is, you know, you do get, questions for sure but um like my number five guy is going to be dominguez um who obviously is recovering from tommy john surgery uh i just think you know obviously he was really good in the big leagues in like a week before he got hurt uh but he was on just a completely another level in the minors um Basically, once the calendar flipped to July, uh, he had a 353 average, uh, 426 OBP um, in his 50 games before getting the call, 22 steals in those 50 games. Um, and then he just, the fact that the Yankees were, you know, they were like, you're hitting cleanup, um, you're playing center field. I just I, I feel very good about his his long term role, his long term playing time, his spot in the lineup. Um, I think you know he just he looks very odd. Um, like the shape of his body is, is just kind of an odd shape baseball body, but um, it's like Yohan Moncada a little bit. Yeah, it it, it kind of is. Um, but you know he's he's run more um, than Moncada did, uh, and I. You know, I guess I've, I've talked a lot about Dominguez. I, I think he's a good draft and hold target. Um, probably won't be going quite as high as, as he was after the Yankees' activity on the outfielder market um, over the past couple of weeks. But um, what do you think about Dominguez's case at, at number five? And I'll, I'll grant you Yamamoto, but just kind of for the sake of – I actually have another one that I was going to mention for you because it's OBP. Uh, I know that you have OBP rankings, but I'll talk about Dominguez first. Um, you know, I really, I don't mind it. I think that, you know, the power is very real. I mean, I think it's very clear plus raw. He gets to it, is getting to it more and more as he's aging up. Um, you know, obviously at his age and his, he debuted at just 20 years old, which is, you know, just obviously incredibly impressive. You've already mentioned his second half performance. It was fantastic. You know, he's not necessarily the fastest player. I know that you've there in the past, there's been seven grades on speed, but you know, he's mainly an above average runner, but I don't really care because he steals, like he runs and he's a savvy base runner. Speed ultimately is an accessory to stolen bases in a lot of ways. You know, I think the most important things with 
with assessing whether players are going to actually run is obviously whether a team runs, <laughs> whether they'll get a green light, um, whether they have a track record. Because I think track record is a really good indicator of whether these players will actually run. You know, track record and a track record of success. You know, players who get caught a lot. I think that eventually they're just not going to be given a green light anymore, the bases. And Dominguez has a track record of success. He has enough speed to steal bases. And you know, the Yankees, uh, they will run. So I I do think he'll be a good asset on the bases. I think the power will be there. I think the biggest concern that you know a lot of people will talk about with Dominguez is the hit tool being an issue. And I think it is still an open concern. I don't think it's been fully answered Uh Obviously, the debut was incredibly short, but there's still enough swing and miss. There's still some occasional approach-related issues that give me some pause. Um, But if he can develop into like a 260 hitter at the major league level, uh, maybe with a 340 OBP or something like that, uh, with... I think he could conceivably get up to 30 home runs at peak uh, and 20 plus stolen bases uh, or give or take, you know, they could be inverted. Uh, That's a fantastic uh, fantasy player. I personally don't quite have him uh, where you have him. I'm a little, still a little concerned. I don't love that he has the injury. I don't love that the Yankees just brought in their outfields completely full right now, at least for this year um, with four outfielders at the major league level that are all going to be demanding playing time. So I do wonder, you know, I think they're going to probably take it really slow with him is my guess and making sure he's healthy. But of course, if there's an injury, if like Aaron judge is hurt again, uh, we could definitely see Jason Dominguez come up and uh, be a, a factor in the second half of the season. But the player I want to mention that I think, for OVP, I probably would have it five, is Evan Carter. I'm sure you anticipated that one a little bit. Um, you know, I think that he's just such an asset in OVP. He doesn't have the impact of power that a lot of these players have, uh, but he's super fast. Uh, I was actually a little bit surprised, to be honest, about how much he stole at the major league level. Uh, you know, he's, he's super fast, but it's like, long speed you know he's sort of uh it's hard to really he's really tall and lanky he doesn't actually get up to speed really quickly uh so i'm not super sold that he's going to be a bit massive base steal at the major league level uh but the the approach is otherworldly his chase rate last last year was nine percent at the major league level which is ridiculous uh his swing rate was you know really small 34.5 percent i mean if you chase that little swing that little you're gonna walk a ton i mean he's just gonna walk a ton so and he makes plenty of contact i mean if he hits like 270 that obp is probably gonna be over 400 at the major league level uh i just love the foundation that he can give you and that there is upside here for 2020 there's upside for it i don't know if he's going to get there but you know i just think that there's a lot of skills to like for obp Oh, you're muted, James. <laughs> um, yeah, you said you could make a case for 10 guys. Like I, Probably, I think yeah. I've got like 12 guys basically that I think are in a tier from 5 to 16, and Carter's one of those guys, and it's just kind of like what what flavor of prospect do you want? Um, yeah. His proximity to the big leagues obviously is, is a leg up over most of these guys. Um, what do you make – of his 
kind of inability to do anything against lefties? Is it overblown? Are you already factoring in the fact that maybe he won't um, do much against lefties or maybe he might even sit against lefties? Uh, you know, I'm not too concerned, to be honest. I think that he's going to – he'll. I think he's so young and he's such an advanced hitter that I think he's going to find a way to produce against lefties in time. But you're right. I mean, the splits are very extreme. You know, his OPS against lefties this year, including at the major league level, was 602 versus righties. It was 954. And I think it's even more concerning, at least in the short term, until he resolves that issue, because the Rangers are going to have a stacked outfield, especially once they bring in Wyatt Langford to the mix. You know, they've got uh, Langford, Carter, Dolores Garcia, Leody Tavares. I mean, it's just a lot of mouths to feed. I mean, even there's Ezekiel uh, Duran who saw time in the outfield last year for them. So I, I do think that is a real issue that at least this year that he could see a platoon in, in the outfield. Um, so I, yeah, I definitely think it's something to consider. It's something that I would, uh, it makes sense to ding him a bit uh, for that purpose. And then, you know, I think uh, my number six guy is Jordan Lawler, who I think has got a case. Um, he does. He was also protected. Uh, I believe he was, was he a, is he an underdog or a rising star? Um, I think he was an underdog. So he's yeah. been locked up for three years. Yeah. He was basically the, only other prospect who I think was kind of in the mix is maybe a top 10, top 15 overall prospect who was protected. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, just interesting to me that, you know, like Dylan Cruz, I think in some circles is maybe the, the fifth guy we haven't really. um, There's a case for him there. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's, I've always skewed way closer to, I don't really care what you did as an amateur like 18 months ago, like when I'm ranking these guys, like especially once once we get into kind of, you know, May, June of next year, then I really don't care what Dylan Cruz did in college. Um, but it was a small enough sample, obviously, that, um, you know, I think he deserves some level of benefit of the doubt of just based on what he did at AA. But uh, one thing I've brought up um, – to people, you know, during kind of ranking season and stuff like that is it just seemed like every good hitter or every prospect that we had any real expectations for seemed to just mash pretty much everywhere last year in the minors. Like it was just, it was a very um, strong environment to put up um, big numbers if you were an offensive prospect. And we saw, you know, prospects who, just weren't even in the same kind of class as Dylan Cruz before the draft have success at, you know, reach double a and, you know, put up better numbers than, than Cruz did double a, like even like Walker Jenkins, I thought had a more impressive run at single a than uh, Cruz did last year. And Jenkins is three years younger. So I thought um, Jenkins might've gotten selected. He was available in the Highlander draft. That was a little, little surprise but i get i get it you know like you said this league places a heavy uh emphasis on major league talent um talent that's going to help you now so i definitely understood why he wasn't uh, retained i think the biggest issue biggest question i have with jenkins i guess briefly touching on him is 
you know, I'm not too concerned about this, but his impact wasn't great in in the minors this past year. I um, in his debut, I think in I know that in low A, his max exit velocity was just was was below 104 miles an hour, uh, which you know that's not fantastic. Uh, but he's got the frame. I think obviously the the hit tool is far more advanced. Than I think many people thought it was uh, coming in, but. And, you know, there's some speed there. So I really actually recently comped him a little to like Kyle Tucker, a young Kyle Tucker, because Kyle Tucker, not that this matters a ton, but Kyle Tucker out after his first, in his first year after when he was drafted, right after draft, he didn't hit for any power either. <laughs> um, uh, so, and he showed, you know, excellent play discipline with tons of contact should the basically the makings of what he was to become. And uh, so I'm, I am quite high on Walker Jenkins and I definitely can see the case for Jenkins over Cruz. I think this first year player draft is just a wild one. I feel like it's a, I know this might, this we're, we're a little off course here maybe, but this first year player draft class is probably the strongest I've seen. Maybe it's really good. For a long time. I think the, the class that had like Alex Bregman in it, uh, I think that was 2016. That was a really good class. I remember that very well. Um, and a lot of those actually were hits. A lot of those players like really did produce. Uh, but this class is wild, especially once you add Yamamoto, add Imanaga uh, to it, add Lee to it, and all of a sudden, like, man, all of a sudden maybe Max Clark ends up dropping to like nine, which is crazy. Yeah, it's it's a really fun first year player draft class. Um, I you know Matt Shaw, like where does he stack up against Dylan Cruz? You know, where do you put Skeens? Where do you put Waldrop? Um, Colt yeah. Emerson has come on really strong. Like, do you like Colt Emerson more than Max Clark? Like, I think that's debatable. Um, I do. I do. Yeah, I do too. Um, but like, it's just. The one that I always think about is the the like Adley Vaughn Abrams. Oh movie. yeah, well yeah, that class was crazy with like um, Corbin Carroll and Riley Green yeah. and yeah, and it was just it's exactly what you want for dynasty. Right? It's just a bunch draft of draft class, high end position players, um, and this yeah. one is is like that, but with some really high end pitchers. Like, um, yeah. it's and you're you're obviously very active in trading in, in your dynasty league, so. Um, there's just, there's going to be so much activity, um, and nailing that pick, like there, there's going to be a guy that gets busted. I'm yeah. dying to get into that top 10 in this class. It's crazy. I don't, even if you're not in the top 10, you're still so much talent after that. It's, it's a really deep class too. So it's very talented at the top deep throughout. Um, just a fun year to like have as many first year player draft picks as possible. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think we is it was there anyone you wanted to to touch on and just kind of wrapping up that conversation about like who the number five prospect is. Um yeah, we've we've touched on most of the, my top ten. I I guess Noelvi Marte, Roman Anthony, uh Kobe Mayo or, or some hitters I've got in that mix as well that we haven't hit on. But um anyone anyone else you want to touch on? Um, you know, I think the only other one I would even say is even in consideration, I wouldn't put him anywhere near five, to be honest. Uh, it's like James Wood, just because the tools are so wild still. The swing miss is very concerning, but, you know, it's uh, 
it's there's a lot of very interesting prospects uh, in that range. And but yeah, I do think Yamamoto for me is there. He's there. And He's my five. <laughs> one way, one the way I would kind of put it is if we're doing a startup dynasty draft, um, I just I'm not going to be the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth like when the prospects are getting selected. Like I'll take one of those top four and like a dynasty startup, but after that, I might be like this. I might take the sixteenth or seventeenth prospect off the board. After that, I'm not. I'm not going to be the person who takes, you know, whoever. Um, yeah, it all it always depends on the room to be for me in dynasty startups because it you know in some cases people just like just won't take prospects you know they'll just fall 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 or there'll be a few teams that are just only taking prospects so then no prospects fall and uh, typically my strategy is if the value is right on a prospect i will go there but generally i'm trying to fill out the major league roster first before i go to prospects because you know as we both know both of us you know we know prospects quite well, I like to think. Um, I think we can find prospects very easily on waivers. So I'd rather focus either latent drafts on prospects or waivers on prospects. But yeah, I agree. I think in Dynasty Startup, you know, these top four are really special. I mean, they really are probably, depending upon your format, I mean, yeah, they're, they're players who should probably be taken in like the first three rounds. Um, maybe, I mean... Probably not, probably not further than that, even in like a 12 team where you probably don't want to let them fall out of the top three rounds. Uh, and, you know, after that, again, I think the prospect pool really does fall off. And I think that at that point, you should wait till like after pick 100 typically uh, to get one. Unless it's Yamamoto, I would probably, you know, especially if it's a dynasty startup, he's like kind of the perfect mix because he's a guy who will contribute now. Um, he is a prospect. Uh, I know that you don't consider him one for your rankings, but he is one <laughs> technically. So uh, he would be a guy I would still target in dynasty startup. But um, I guess getting back to the draft real fast, um, yeah. I haven't talked about my pick. Oh, yeah. All right, so yeah, my pick, I was considering Tanner Bobby, obviously, uh, was my pick, but I was also considering Kettle Marte and Kyle Schwarber, but uh, because of my team build and just after getting Devin Williams poached, I was like, I have to get an arm. I have to, because I can't just completely disregard arms altogether. So uh, I went Bobby because, you know, he's got the best mix of present stuff, youth, and command. And I think he's safe. I think that... um, I think there's another gear there with Bybee that he could, you know, unlock even more potential. I think that the stuff is quite good. I think the fastball is better than it even showed at the major league level last year. It flashes fantastic qualities. It just backs up at times and it's not, it, you know, backs up to like a below average pitch sometimes, which is the biggest problem. I think if he finds more consistency with his fastball, he could really kind of take another step forward because the slider is quite good. You know, nice two plane slider, his changeup solid, his curveball is an adequate fourth pitch. But really, I think that if the, I think generally the only potential plus pitch he right now has is the slider. But I think the fastball has that could get there. It could get the plus. I think if he can hit, can kind of sit at his sit at like 95 more regularly sit at 95 and above with more with, with the carrying action and he often does show, I mean, he can touch 98 at times too. So I, 
I think there's just he's in a good organization for pitching too. I just I kind of I just like his whole profile. Um, again, not the highest upside profile by any means, but uh, I think it's a profile that should produce and produce solid numbers. Yeah, I think that's just a really solid pick. Um, you know, you addressed a, a need. Uh, I think that that's smart in your situation. Um, did you, you mentioned you were considering the guys that went right after him, Schwarber and Marte. Um, you know, I just going back to the draft, uh, it, it was a, a humbling moment for me when uh, Akeem Glaspie, who's been one of the best players in this league, uh, opted to take Max Kepler at 18 over any of my players. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I, I was, I was joking with Jordan Rosenblum after the pod congratulating him on neither of us losing any players <laughs> in yes. the uh, Highlander draft, um, which is, it's nice for uh, roster building, but it's also just kind of like, Oh, all right. I, I see how it is. <laughs> um, there are players on my team that I would have taken over Kepler or Byron Buxton, but um, was there yeah. anything else you wanted to touch on just with the, the uh, Highlander draft? Well, yeah, I would say that Kepler was a little bit of a surprise to me at that pick. Um, same thing with Buxton, to be honest. Um, he enters the year DH only. I know he's going to be playing outfield this year. Like, at least he's presumably going to be playing some outfield this year. Um, but I think that obviously the shine has kind of worn off on Buxton. And uh, I just think it's Put, drafting Kepler at that spot is really buying in really too much into his second half production. I mean, he's always been a player who's kind of teased uh, another level. After he obviously that massive 2019, right? Uh, the year of the bouncy ball. So I'm just not a big, I don't buy either of them. They're both twins. I don't, I don't buy either of them being uh, values uh, that you're going to look back on this draft in a year saying, ah, yeah, that was a great pick. I don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. And I agree. There were players on your roster <laughs> that I would have taken <laughs> over uh, either of them. Like Kate Horton was one of them. I mean, yeah. there's, uh, you know, Kyle Mansardo even, you know, just I'm looking at your roster right now. Um, there was, a, there's a few other, Curtis Mead, I believe was available as well off your roster. So, yeah, I, just... you know, I don't mind like the, the Kepler one. It's just, you know, he's going to compile stats. He's 20 team league. He's going to, there's value there, I guess. Um, you know, Buxton to me, I'm just, you know, I used to be Buxton's biggest fan. Um, and just, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. He hit 224 in t 2022. He hit 207 last year. You know, you could maybe project him for, 85 games uh he's ut ut only uh it's just i just i don't think that same ceiling is there um that was there maybe three four years ago and the floor has just gotten really low uh, especially in a batting average league yeah i agree uh and i really loved all of drew's other picks uh i just yeah super keen on the buxton pick uh, with 19. But again, it was one of the last picks in the draft. The pool at that point is incredibly limited and the amount right. of impact options is not, is sparse. There were other options on Samada's roster that I preferred the Bucks in. And I actually thought I was a little surprised that Bucks ended up being the choice from Samada. I think he had uh, 
Zach Neto, for example, I would have easily taken over Buxton. I was um, mm-hmm. surprised that he wasn't because I know that Drew had Neto on his roster last, for much of last year, and he didn't didn't go there. And I was, I mean, that was the the main player that I was a little surprised about. I did think Shelley wrapped it up really well with with Fott um, at, at with the twentieth pick. I, he was not. I I knew I wasn't going to have to take like him at seven, but like he was, he made my very long list of best starting pitchers available um, for this thing. Uh, anything else you want to hit on with the Highlander or should we get on to uh, some deep second base targets? Let's, let's get on to second baseman because it's a surprisingly strong list. <laughs> yeah, we've, this is uh, I think the fourth position uh, covered so far on this podcast. Um, this offseason, we've done uh, catchers, outfielders, and first basemen. Um, and what Jesse and I are going to do is we're going to look at second base eligible players with a ADP after pick 300 in NFBC 15 team draft and hold leagues. Uh, so these are 50 round drafts. Um, where you don't make any in-season pickups. Um, so we're each going to highlight one second baseman going after pick 300 that we think is a good value. And I will uh, turn it over to you, Jesse. All right. Well, my player, uh, for those who know me, may, it may not come as a surprise. I cannot quit this player. Uh, he does everything in his power to get me off his bandwagon, but I'm I'm hanging on for dear life, and it's Brendan Rogers. What? Uh <laughs> <laughs> I I knew I knew that's where you're going after you after you did that. Uh, kind of yeah. it, but. Uh, his ADP uh, that was pulled by James is 380, uh, and I think in drafted holds in particular, I understand maybe the reticence because of his lengthy injury history, and you don't want to have basically an an empty production a spot for your roster, but. Man, it's just hard for me to ignore the potential upside here. He finished really strong last year with the Rockies uh, in September, October. He hit 290, 343, 460 uh, over uh, that final period. Uh, I just think that he's in a very forgiving ballpark. He's going to be hitting in the middle of this order that hopefully will be a little bit better next year with another year of Nolan Jones and Ezekiel Tovar, hopefully taking maybe for the Rockies, at least hopefully taking a step forward. Hopefully we see a healthier Chris Bryant. Uh, You know, they still have Ryan McMahon in that lineup as well. So it's not as dire as maybe you think. And Brent Rogers is going to be right in the mix there. And he has no competition. He's going to be the guy who's going to start second base, gets to play all of his home games in Colorado. He's being picked quite late, so the acquisition cost is quite low. Uh, you're not, you know, burning, you know, high draft capital to get him. And even at this range, a lot of these players are, you know, playing time risk. A lot of them are. And I think that other than injuries, I think Brendan Rodgers is the safest bet for consistent playing time if he can stay on the field. Of course, that latter part, whether he can stay on the field, it hasn't been answered. It just hasn't been answered in his entire career uh, other than in 2022 where he got when he had 581 play appearances. And even that year, he had had his fair share of injuries and bang-ups. So... Uh, I really like him right now as a player who no one cares about. He's super cheap to acquire in all formats. Uh, I'm all about acquiring some cheap Brendan Rodgers. 
Uh, he's just 27 years old, and he's nearing the point where he really needs to prove it because he's a free agent after a 2025 season. So this could be the year. I say that every year for him, but this could be it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyone who's followed my work for a long time probably knows that I have not been um, <laughs> waiting, waiting the Brendan Rodgers breakout, uh, and I was not – you know, I probably still wouldn't be drafting him, um, but you did kind of sway me uh, to some extent just because, like, if you draft Brendan Rodgers, so he's got the 380 ADP, let's say you take Brendan Rodgers at, like, pick 400 and you just only start him at home. Uh, I actually don't think that's a bad use of a pick. Um, you know, he's got a career – 855 OPS at home and a career 531 <laughs> OPS on the road, uh, career 200 average on the road. So you basically can't use Brendan Rodgers on the road in NFBC leagues um, unless you just need him as a body. Um, you just don't have any healthy player to plug in there. Um, but if you just draft him and you're just saying, I'm only going to use this guy at home, and you can do that in the FBC because you're only setting for Monday through Thursday and Friday through, through Sunday – um, so you you can get through the whole season without ever using him on the road if you want to. Um, I don't think that's a, a terrible use of a, a pick in that range, especially if you maybe you started with a second baseman who's got some you know durability concerns or something like that, and you want to kind of back it up with a viable option. Um, I don't mind it for for just that gambit of using him for the for the core starts. Yeah, I I think that I 100% agree with that. I I think. There's even there's room for improvement away. I'm gonna say that, um, but it is very bad. I mean, it's obviously his career away has been atrocious. But you know, I think great the thing for cores that I even kind of circles back to what I said earlier with Nolan Jones. Brandon Rogers makes lots of contact. He puts the ball in play. He hits the ball fairly hard. Uh, that's a recipe for success in cores. Uh, I his performance away is is wild how bad it was i didn't even realize it was as bad i knew it was poor but i didn't realize it was that bad but uh yeah use them at home guys <laughs> <laughs> okay so my pick at second base um has a adp of 432 and that's leover piguero um piguero is eligible at second base and shortstop which is nice um just you know to get a sense of the type of player he is steamer 600 has him for 16 homer 16 steals if you got the 600 plate appearances uh i thought just for a you know he's he's a toolsy middle infielder he was 22 last year i thought having a a 33 o swing and a 73 percent contact rate is actually pretty decent just kind of given his age given some of those really high o swing rates you'll see for from similar players um you know he had a, a 296 iso in a tiny sample at AAA, 21 for 24 on stolen base attempts and 76 minor league games last year so like i i see some sneaky 2020 upside with Piguero if he's just their second baseman all season long um you know maybe he needs to get the his ground ball rate had been kind of in the 40s at double a triple a and and spiked in the big leagues he's going to get that under control um you know maybe like nick gonzalez is is better than expected and pushes him or something like that uh, but i do believe Piguero is the pirates best second baseman on the roster i think he 
I don't think he's in danger of, you know, Tamar Johnson's probably the, the long-term answer at second base. I don't think Tamar Johnson's coming up this year. Um, so I, I think Peguero plays every day, could maybe flirt with 2020 if he stays healthy. And I like the dual eligibility at pick uh, 432 on average. Yeah, I, I like it too. I think the tools are just wildly underrated generally in the industry. He's super fast. Like he's a really fast guy. Uh, and there's really legit power here too. I think it's above average raw. Uh, he doesn't always get to it because the swing decisions have just had been poor throughout, you know, as he's grown, as he's come up through the minor leagues, uh, they are improving though. And I think he did take a big step forward last year in terms of his swing decisions uh, generally. So uh, I really do like him right now as a post hype kind of option. I think that's a good selection. I think the only, you mentioned Nick Gonzalez, but I think another concern I'd have is the guy below him in ADP and that's uh Juwan Bay. Um, the other pirates, you know, yes, he's a utility, super utility guy, but, uh, and he's a lefty. So you know, I think that he conceivably could eat into Peguero's time, but generally, like, he's much better defender, too. You know, he's a solid, but actually defensive shortstop. And the only reason he's really kind of being slotted second is because of the hopeful, healthy, and impendent ro- ro- arrival of O'Neill Cruz to that lineup. Uh, so I do like that. I think that's a good, uh, power nice power speed play late yeah it's good to mention bay for sure um but i i do i do think Pigero's better i think it, you know adp yeah. is probably right there um Pigero, you know i think bay probably opens the year in a util role um and then you know Pigero would probably have to struggle um but start start to giving away at bats there but um this has been fun jesse uh yeah. we we covered a, a lot of ground i enjoyed talking about you know who the number five prospect is yeah. um the open question <laughs> and uh looking forward to uh catching up with you in person at, at first pitch florida yeah um you gotta Don't be free of babies <laughs> for a weekend <laughs> oh, i'm gonna just be i'm gonna be like Sleepy. i'm going i'm going to bed i'm going to bed at like 11 guys this is, this is my chance um so uh what what do you uh what do you got uh, going on over at uh at baseball prospectus uh, right now, we're putting out our team top prospect lists, and I'm putting out the fancy rundown for the top 10, uh, which has been nice little short blurbs for those each players and includes uh, reckless comps for a lot of these players, uh, which has been kind of fun to figure out a, a real player comp that might fit for a lot of these players. And I'll look, when I do that, I'll look at like pitch shape for pitchers. I'll look at all kinds of different things to try and come up with the right comp um and i will say you know jackson's real i did comp to julio rodriguez i do think that that is a fair one and uh so that's one of many examples um, but uh it's been challenging because it's hard not to comp every left-handed shortstop to Corey seager every <laughs> 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 every right but uh no it's been it's been a good one uh good process i'm also doing some research sort of in terms of uh, assessing how the process of dynasty rankings generally and looking at actual production and doing the present value of that production from those years way back when. I know Brett Sayer started doing dynasty rankings publicly in 2013. So we have his rankings and I can compare what his rankings were 
prior to the 2020, 2013 season to what those players actually did over the course of their careers and seeing uh, how accurate he was. And uh, it's been a fascinating little exercise. I'm going to be publishing that s- soon. Uh, but uh, it's it's going through that. It, it, it does kind of like tell me maybe where it instructs me a little bit about maybe my own process. And maybe I'm too low on certain player groups and too high on certain other ones. Um, I think generally what I've found early on is that maybe we underrate prospects. You know, prospects, even with heavy discounts, even with a heavy, uh, with a high interest rate, 20% interest rate on, on the, in the present value formula, uh, there's usually, you know, 15 to 20 prospects that rank within the top 100 in terms of present value any given year. Uh, so, you know, I don't typically put that many prospects in the top 100, of course. I just don't. I think it's, it's just not something you ever see either people do in Dynasty League. So may we underrate prospects, which is weird to say because everyone thinks we overrate them. Uh, and also older players, uh, absent a few exceptions like Nelson Cruz, they never return value uh, in Dynasty. You know, players over 30, they rarely, rarely, rarely return value in Dynasty. So, uh, you know, wherever anyone's perceived value is of these players is likely too high. So uh, that's just been my process trying to figure out maybe going through this research, figuring out maybe a better way to do what we do. Yeah, I mean, we always got to be looking at ways to improve and kind of evaluating ourselves. And, uh, you know, if you're not if you're not constantly kind of tweaking things, you know, at least on the margins, um, yeah. you're, you're probably not getting better. And, I, you know, to, it, it's it's been even more of a young man's game in the past like year or two as these front offices really just try to get their payrolls down to just a, as low as they possibly can. Um, I think you're going to continue to see uh, pre-arb players getting the playing time over, you know, veteran players with some obvious exceptions. So, uh, you know, we could talk about that for, for another hour, Yeah. Uh, but I uh, think I've got a diaper to change. Uh, <laughs> yep. so, me too. <laughs> uh, we will end it here. Uh, Jesse, thanks for joining me and uh, look forward to catching up with you in Florida in uh, a couple months. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me on as always.